it was going to be about faith this week. I had hopes of being out faith, but I, I, I had to have, I got into so many counseling appointments that I felt like my lesson wasn't coming together. And I don't like putting together a lesson two days before Sunday. I know what happens. You know, it just doesn't have the full effect because I really need about seven to eight days just of really meditating, really going through the scriptures to give something that is worthy and really accurate and informative and challenging and inspiring. Um, so I had to change my lesson to a lesson that I had already done for the class and the deeper teaching that I thought would be helpful here. So, but I, I made some alterations to it. So if you're in that class, there will be some new information. So uh, I wanted to start with that because I want to let you guys know that it's been a very busy week. You know, when you're a Christian you, and you see your brothers and sisters in pain and hurting, uh, you're compelled to help them. And, help, and I hope you all feel that way. We're compelled to help because we don't, as, a, as a brother, I don't quit on any disciple. I don't quit on them. I don't care how, how ugly or hard it gets. Disciples don't quit on disciples. You know, no matter how ugly they seem to come off and don't leave me alone. And, uh, you're, you know, we don't give up. We don't quit. And that's what I love about God's church. Okay, let's talk about this. Think about how long you need to be faithful to go to heaven. Think about your 70 years that seem like eternity, your 70 years and eternity. Think of our little struggle here on the scale of eternity. And, I, and, I, I'm, and I'm, if I was Henry, this would be longer, but I'm Geo, so my arms can't go that long. Okay, put it on a scale. How long? And so when we're here for this short time, we can get consumed with the wrong things. A man was taking it easy, laying on the grass, looking up at the clouds. He was identifying shapes when he decided to talk to God. God, he said, how long is a million years? God answered, in my frame of reference, it's about a minute. The man asked God, God, how much is a million dollars? God says, to me, it's like a penny. The man said, God, can I have a penny? God answered, yes, in a minute. You know, the frame of reference, you have to understand, you and God, you may want something, but you may not be ready for it. You know, sometimes I ask God to teach me about the Bible. And then he gives you stuff that you're going, I wasn't ready for that. And there's some things in today's lesson, God, that I did not know as a young Christian. And I wish I would have known this. Because the, the Old Testament has much to say about Jesus than I ever thought. And, 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 and as a Christian, I, grew up, I only grew up reading the New Testament as a disciple. I really didn't pay much, much to the Old. And I see how rich the Old Testament is. So let's, let's talk a little bit about where God lived in the Old Testament. Okay? You know, uh, the, the comments of, in the Bible, the billowing smoke of incense. You know, the, the blood of goats being splattered on furniture. There's curtains. It looks mysterious, this place that God would reside in. And there was, there was bread there. There was a lampstand, there was an altar of incense, there was this Ark of the Covenants. What do they mean? You know, in the Old Testament, God lived in this temple. And this temple was a place where really, literally, God dwelt with his people. And sacrifices for sins were made. This is what made a Jewish person Jewish. As long as the temple stood in Jerusalem, the, the Jews rationalized that God would not abandon them. So the temple was destroyed in 586 B.C. by the Babylonians. 
And then the, 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 the rebuilding of that temple was destroyed in 70 AD by the Roman general um, Titus. But before the temple, before God, this temp, before the temple, there was the tabernacle. This is where God resided. This is where he had his time. The Bible sometimes called it the tent of meeting. And there's these things in there that are interesting. There's this altar, bronze altar, that uh, the sacrifices were done on. There's this laver of water. There's a curtain. And inside there's a candlestick. There's a table of bread. And there's a golden, golden altar of incense. And this is called the holy place. And beyond this is the most holy of holies. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant sits. And that's where God and a cloud sat on top. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was lost, and many people are trying to find it. But my, my, my opinion is that it doesn't exist anymore because when a conquering nation took your property and took your gold, they usually would melt it down and, and recreate it for their own and, 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 and include it in their own economy. So I'm not sure if someone saved the Ark of the Covenant if they didn't know what it was. It was just a box of gold, so they wanted to uh, use it for their income. That's what I would do. Sure, that's what everyone else would do. Hey, I don't know what this box is. I'm going to melt it and make me a nice gold chain. <laughs> okay, the tabernacle. So this is where God resided. So if anyone uh, can come here, there were specific things that needed to be done in order to enter God's presence. You, could just, you just couldn't walk in there. Just, hey, what's going? Just make sure. Bought some nice bread right there. I like that bread. Oh, what's this? You could just walk in there because what happened is that you would, you would die. You would get struck down. How do we know this? Because even the sons of Aaron did something inappropriate in God's presence and were killed. So this is very serious. Some rabbis even write that they used to tie a little rope around the, uh, the, the, the leg of the priest in case he was, get, he was, he was a little shady. And then he walked in, still shady. I did, went the rituals, but he wasn't right with God. Didn't, didn't have his heart right. Went in there, made a mistake, poof. He would die, so they couldn't go in there and get him, or else they would be dead too. So they just drag him out. They drag him out. Remember the ark of the the ark of the covenant was one time carried on a cart. You know, God says it has to be carried by hand, but David put it on a cart, and so the cart hit a rock and it stumbled. And one of the guys, in good faith, don't let the ark hit the ground. Dead. That's how serious God is about. Hey, when you come to me, it needs to be done the right way. Now, it doesn't mean these guys went to hell. The Bible doesn't say that. They just said they died. Because there's a certain holiness that man and God, God can't be around anything that's sinful. So, so their life ended. So the question now becomes, how do we, or what can this tell us about how we can get into the presence of God? What does this speak of in the Old Testament, and why were they doing these things? Why? In the New Testament, it's all about Jesus, right? How does this relate to Jesus? To be in the New Testament, you have to be baptized in Jesus' name. How does this relate to God and Jesus? And today, we're going to answer that question. How does it relate? Well, the tabernacle, as you know, gives us some early hints. Only a high priest could enter this area behind the curtain once a year, and he would splatter the blood of a goat and bull for the sins of the people of Israel, God's people. Only a perfect person can come into the presence of God. 
So this, this tabernacle here is set up in a way that God is trying to communicate to us that a person who is free from sin can enter into the presence of God. That's why they had to have these certain things happen before you and behind this temple. You had to be free from sin to enter God's presence. Your sins had to be wiped away. Okay? Does that sound kind of familiar? There are some interesting things here that I want to talk about. Okay? In Exodus chapter 25, I think I have it here, it reads this in reference to the sanctuary. Have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishing exactly like the pattern I will show you. Mm. God was very specific in how someone was to enter into his presence. You just couldn't lollygag in there. You just couldn't go into the tabernacle. There was a certain set of requirements that had to be done. Okay? So now let's enter the tabernacle. Let's take a look. Okay? So the person would come in here, a little, little courtyard here, and there, 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 there has to be some kind of sacrifice. And then there's some kind of water there, and there's a curtain, and there's three items inside the holy, of holy, uh, the holy place. A candlestick, a golden altar, and a table of bread. What does that mean? And then back there is the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant had three things inside of it. Does anybody know what? Give me one thing that you think is inside. Just give, give me one. Don't give me all three. Just give me one. What's one thing? Raise your hand. I'll call on you. Rodney, give me one thing, Rodney. The Ten Commandments were in there. Very good, Rodney. Very good. What else was in there? Dave Reinhardt. The, the golden jar of manna. And what was the, remember the, manna, the story in the Bible that God would bring manna in the morning and they would eat it? Because they're like, we have no food. A golden jar of manna. What was the last item? Jackie. The staff. Whose staff? Aaron's staff. That proved that he was going to be the priest of all generations to come. And it budded. And that staff was in there. So that's pretty awesome. Good job, guys. Let's look at the first thing here. Uh, it's interesting understanding that when Jesus came down to earth, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace. This word dwelling among us in the Greek is called tabernacle. He was tabernacling among us. Interesting, huh? He was, when he came down to earth, when he was born through Mary and on the earth, he was the tabernacle. Interesting. Okay? So we all, we've kind of looked at that. I'm just kind of giving you an idea of what we're going to be looking at. First thing is the altar of the burnt offerings. Look what it says here. Build an altar of acacia wood, three cubits high. It is to be square, five cubits long, and five cubits wide. Make a horn at each of the four corners, so that the horns and the altar are of one piece. And overlay the altar with bronze. This is where the sin offerings took place. The peace offerings took place. The fellowship offerings took place. What can we learn from the presence of the altar? That's just obviously someone recreated the altar there. What can we learn? That's the first thing you would see when you come into this tabernacle. In order to come into God's presence, this is what we can learn. In order to come into God's presence, there must be a sacrifice. You cannot come to God if there is not a sacrifice. Romans 12. Who must become a living sacrifice? Us. 
You cannot get closer to God if you're unwilling to make a sacrifice. You cannot be close to God if you're unwilling to give something up. It's not going to happen. You can go to Christian churches where they'll make you feel great. But they will never ask you to sacrifice. We have to sacrifice something. It's important. Okay? It's important. A living sacrifice. Coming into fellowship with God always requires, always requires the shedding of blood. You know, when we struggle, the Bible says, you have not yet, you have not yet spilled your blood. I love when it says that because, oh, you're right. It's not, it's not as hard as I want it to look like. Sometimes a struggle, I can magnify the struggle because I don't want to deal with the challenge. The Bible says, hey, you've not spilled your blood yet. To come near God, blood must be spilt. Okay? Look in your Bibles in Hebrews chapter 10. Let's read about this. Look in your Bibles in Hebrews chapter 10. The bronze altar. What does that mean? Hebrews chapter 10. Let me know when you're there. Hebrews is after Timothy. It's back there in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 10. Okay, verse 8. It says, first he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have, all, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when the priest had offered for all, the to- all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. By, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The presence of the altar in the tabernacle was a constant reminder to the Jews for a continuing need of sacrifice. And this, this altar is a, is a foreshadow of the one time God would sacrifice and end this altogether, and that sacrifice was Jesus. The first thing you have to do to enter God's presence is that Jesus must have been a, a sacrifice for you. You cannot go in there if you have, you, and G, you have not acknowledged the sacrifice. You have not participated in the sacrifice. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you must die to yourself. Because I will die once for all. If you want to follow me, you must die to self. That is your sacrifice. If you're willing to follow Jesus, then Jesus' sacrifice is acceptable to God. If you're unwilling to follow Jesus, your sacrifice will be unacceptable to God. You'll walk in thinking, I can't wait to sing hallelujah to the Lord. Boom. In the Old Testament, you would go down. In the New Testament, we call that being deceived and lost. No longer does God strike you down because that is done away with. Now it's you live in a world of, dece- of deception. 
You think one thing, but the reality is totally different. And many people live this way. Okay? So this is a foreshadow. Let's look at the next item. The second thing you would see would come into the sacrifice, which is about Jesus. The second thing you would see is the laver. Why would that laver be there? Why would I need a, la a laver to enter this presence of God? We understand this, Gio. Yes, Jesus is the sacrifice. Yes. But why the laver? Well, in Exodus 30, verse 20, this is what God says. Whenever the priests enter the tent of meeting, that's another name for the tabernacle, they shall wash with water so that they will not die. Why would the priest, who is really a foreshadow of, of us, the royal priesthood, 1 Peter chapter 2, the holy nation, why is water a requirement to go into the sanctuary? God will, it's because God said it. He didn't say, let them say a little prayer to me and accept me into their hearts, and I will, you know. He doesn't say that. He says, if that was true, then that would be a foreshadow. You'd have to sit there and pray and accept the Lord into your hearts and answer. But it says they shall wash with water. Okay? Very important. Remember, there it is. Boom, boom. Exodus 30, verse 19. Whenever they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water so that they will not die. Also, when they approach the altar to minister by presenting an offering made to the Lord by fire, they shall wash their hands and feet so they will not die. This is to be a lasting ordinance for Aaron and all his descendants for the generations to come. God is very specific how you enter his presence. There needs to be a sacrifice, and there needs to be a washing with water. What is that a foreshadow of? What is that a foreshadow of? Well, in 1 Peter 3, we see this. When God waited patiently in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built, in the ark, only a few people, eight and all, were saved through Water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but a good conscience toward God. Foreshadow. You see the foreshadow there? How about the, let's go back one, Tony? Foreshadow. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Bible says this For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. That's when the sea parted and everyone walked through the sea. What's that a foreshadow of? Okay, look what Paul says. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and they were baptized into the sea. You see, the, God was giving us a message from the Old Testament how you enter his presence. What saddens me the most is I see even disciples in this church start believing. They start believing of the culture that's out there. It's out there and it's strong. That this is, this is really, that's not really what it says. You just got to have a good conscience. And they miss this. And they claim this is the work. And that's the argument. Are you working for your salvation? Or are you having faith in Christ? There's a big argument out there. And if you're not careful, you can fall into that trap. You gotta be ready. Two old men had been best friends for years. And they both lived to their early 90s. One of them suddenly falls deathly ill. 
His friend comes to visit him, and on his deathbed, they're reminiscing about their long friendship. When the dying man's friends asked, asked him, Listen, when you die, do me a favor. I want to know if there's baseball in heaven. The dying man said, We've been friends for many years. I will do this for you. And then he died. A couple of days later, his surviving friend is sleeping when he hears his friend's voice. The voice said, I've got some good news and some bad news. The good news is, there's baseball in heaven. The bad, he goes, what's the bad news? You're pitching on Wednesday. <laughs> be ready. We have to be ready. Be ready. Because one day, you will pass our short little life. It will pass. And there will, there will be eternity to wait, waiting for us. Be ready. Don't miss the train. Believe what you first learn in the scriptures. Our culture is saturating us with this watered-down version of what a Christian is. And I've seen my friends leave this church, people who I respected, and I see them, their life in total chaos. Because our community of relationships, of our closeness, is found rarely elsewhere. We actually are in each other's lives. I actually spend time with Ori outside of church. I go swimming with them. It's not a very pretty sight, but we go swimming. We're both pretty ugly. Our wives are awesome, and people are wondering, how do you get her? We don't know. The Lord. We hang out with each other. We hang out. We spend time with each other. We, we're in there for each other. We have bumps and bruises. We, we, we fall down. We help each other up. We understand that. We're in it to win it. Look what it says here. Uh, go back one again. This is obviously my PowerPoint didn't have this inserted. But in Acts 2.38, Peter replies this. He says this. If for anyone who wants to enter God's presence, he says, he says this. You have to change. In other words, a sacrifice. You've got to change something and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Because if you're going to enter God's presence, you have to be sinless. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wow. God is very clear about a sacrifice and about the water. He's very clear. Now, what are the other articles in there that are kind of interesting? Look at this. Look at this, um, this, this candle. It was called a, uh, a lampstand. What was that for? Well, I know in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, it reads this. Then the angel of the Lord, who talked to me, returned and woke me up as one awakened from a sleep. He asked, what do you see? I answered, I see a gold, solid gold lampstand with a bowl on top and seven lamps on it with seven channels to the lamps. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other is on its left. I asked the angel who talked to me, what are these, my Lord? He answered, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I don't know. So he said to him, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What you find inside the presence of God, in his presence, is you find the Holy Spirit. 
That's in the tabernacle. It's right there. See, you have to get sacrificed. You have to wash with water. And then you have access to the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what Acts 2.38 says? You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See how that connects? I know you're going, this is so, I get it. Okay? I understand that. But millions don't get this. Millions somehow try to explain this away. Because Jesus says in John 5, the Old Testament is all about me. It all points to me. Okay? So there's the lampstand. Once you have a sacrifice, once you're, once you're washed with water, you get access to the Holy Spirit. Wow, that's kind of cool. What's the next thing in there? There's this table of bread. Look at that. That's not for lunch, ladies and gentlemen. What's the bread in there for? Why would there be bread in the presence of God? Is God, get hungry? Is God literally going to eat that? No. At this, the Jews, this was when Jesus was saying, I, Jesus was telling in the context of John 6, Jesus is telling the Jews, I am the bread of life. And they got all mad. Because if you're the bread, that means you're in the presence of God. So look what they say. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? You see how they missed it? Jesus is the bread of life. So when you enter the, the, the holy place, there's the Holy Spirit. And then there's Jesus in the presence of God. You don't go, hi, Jesus. This is good. No, you just, it, it's, it's spiritually to, 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 for you, like, like Karen said, is to come to Jesus. All who are weary. When your yoke is heavy, you come to Jesus. You go to him. When you're having a horrible day, you go to Jesus. Don't go to the fridge like I did. Go to Jesus. I have a terrible relationship with Jesus when I go to food because it's a poor substitute. It's awful. It's so much easier to go to Jesus than have now to run every week. Don't like running, but I must do it. Okay, so what's the third thing in there? Remember the altar of incense? What's that? The altar of incense was this. It was this. It was uh, this little altar, and then the, the priest would burn these incense in aroma, and it would fill the room with smoke. He used to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant offerings, or I'm sorry, fragrant incense, and take them behind the curtain. He used to put the incense on the fire before the Lord. And the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the tablets of the covenant law, so he will not die. So this thing had to be close to the Ark of the Covenant. And the incense, the smoke, needed to fill the room where the Ark of the Covenant, where God was at. The, this, this smoke, this uh, really fine-smelling smoke would rise. Ever, ever burn incense? It smells really cool. Some people like it. It gives me a weird nose reaction, but it's really awesome. God wanted all this incense to come and fill this room. Why? See, I ask these questions. Why would God want that? Why would he do that? What does that have to do with us? 
I understand the, burn, the, the altar of Jesus. I understand the laver being baptized. I understand when I'm baptized, the candlestick Holy Spirit. I understand Jesus is a life. But this, this is, confuses me until you look at the Bible. Then I saw a lamb. Looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center before the throne. Encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. You see, why does God want that smoke around that room? Why does they have to be close to the Ark of the Covenant so it fills it? Because God wants to hear your prayers. God loves to hear you pray. He loves it. Do you love it? Do you love to get up and fill that room with smoke? Because God loves it. God enjoys it. But do you do it? Are you the priest? Offering up the prayers? How's your prayer life? Your prayer life keeps you in your relationship with God. Many Christians in the first century didn't have a Bible, but they had this. They had prayer. And when you're having a tough day, guess who wants to hear about it? The Lord. Having a good day? Guess who wants to hear about it? The Lord. Matter your brother and sister? Guess who wants to hear about it? The Lord. Manage your husband, mothers. Go to the Lord. It gives us perspective. All this is in the Bible. And for many years as a Christian, I didn't understand it. And I didn't understand it. I didn't bother reading. How can this apply to my life? Well, it says very clearly that God wants to hear the prayers of the saints. The Ark of the Covenant is the very last thing. Wow. I'm not sure that's what it looked like, but, you know, that's a pretty good effort of what it might have looked like. The cherubim's on top, and then God would be sitting on top in this cloud. And inside, you guys know the three things that were in there. Again, someone wants to enter the, the Holy of Holies. They must, must have a sacrifice, must be washed. And when they're washed, they're clean, they can have access to the Holy Spirit, the, the bread of life, Jesus, and the prayers that God wants to hear the Ark of the Covenant in, uh, in Leviticus 16. I'm not sure if I have it here. Can you go back one, Tony? In Leviticus 16, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of his two sons of Aaron, who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement. You guys got that message? Don't come when you choose. There's a certain, you know, if you're not, if you're, if you're not, if you don't have a relationship with God, there's a certain thing you have to do. People are just thinking, oh, I'm just going to pray. I, I, I have no idea what the Bible says about being right with God. I have no clue. He says, there's a certain way to get to me. There's a certain way. It says here, or else he will die, for I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. And God, go back one, Tony, go back one, please. God sat here. This, this, was, the, this was the area where God was at. And this is where we want to be. When we die, we want to be in his presence. So he does a few things to help us sustain it. He gives you the Holy Spirit. He gives you all the bread you want. 
Jesus. Come to him. He gives you the ability to pray to God. He wants to hear it all. Those three things are meant to sustain you for this short period of, let's say, let's just give you, we'll go, we'll go even go with Karen's grandma, 90 years old. 90 to eternity. Don't give up. Don't give in. That much to go. Dad, am I there yet? You're almost there. Getting close. How does entering the presence of God, how does it affect you now? What should your response be to this? Now you know, now I hope I convinced you that the Old Testament is about Jesus. He's all over that. Look in your Bibles in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. What should, how should you respond to this incredible knowledge that God has bestowed on you this morning? In Hebrews 10, this is the response that we all should have. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Let's stop there for a second. I must stop. The first thing God says is that you should be confident. If you've been a baptized disciple, you should be the most confident person. Because God will do this when you're his. When you're his. He always cleanses you again and again and again. Isn't it funny how we feel dirty and then we run from God? Ah, I'm sucio, I'm dirty. Let me run. And that's the worst thing for us spiritually. And the only way we're going to get, it's like, there's the, there's the way to get clean. We run away like, I don't want a bath. When I was a kid, I was like, Mom, I don't want a bath. I'd run away. I don't want a bath. I don't want a bath. Until I got lice in my hair. You know, if you come from an immigrant family, the remedy for lice is a can of Raid and a plastic bag. Tied it. Three hours walking around with a plastic bag with Raid in my head. You know what I started doing? I started going to the bath. I want to get clean. I want to get clean. And God will put some rate on you. I'll put a plastic bag over your head so you realize how foolish you are from running and go get clean. Why run when you can get clean? I love my mother on Mother's Day. I remember those great stories and a reminder of what, how awesome she was. <laughs> so we, we could have confidence. Confidence. When you sin... I can have confidence. I can go to God. Ceci just laughed. She probably relates to that story because she is, well, you know, we relate to each other. It says in verse 20, we have this confidence by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is the body of Jesus. And since we have a great high, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we, how we may spur one another on toward love 
and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in their habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. What can we do? We can have confidence. We can draw near to God with a sincere heart. We can go to God with faith. We can be washed with water to cleanse our sins. We can hold to the hope. We can spur each other on toward love and good deeds. We can keep meeting together. Don't lose hearts. And most importantly, we can encourage each other all the more till we see the day approaching. We don't know when Jesus is coming back, and I'm not here to predict it. But if he's going to come back in our lifetime, be ready. Be ready. An old preacher was dying. He sent a message for the IRS agent and a lawyer, both church members, to come to his home. When they arrived, they were ushered up into his bedroom. As they entered the room, the preacher held out his hands and motioned them for them to sit on one of each side of the bed. The preacher grasped their hands, sighed contently, smiled and stared at the ceiling. For a time, no one said anything. Both the IRS agent and the lawyer were touched and flattered that the old preacher would ask them to be with him during his final moment. They were all puzzled because the preacher had never given any indication that he particularly liked either one of them. Finally, Laura asked, Preacher, why don't you ask the two of us to come? The old preacher mustered up some strength and said weakly, Jesus died between two thieves, and that's how I want, I want to go. Oh. Now, if you're a lawyer, that's a joke. If you're a Christian lawyer, that's a funny joke. How do you want to go? How do you want to go? Obviously, if you're an IRS agent, we love you. If you're a lawyer, we love you. But that's the point of this joke is, how do you want to go? How do you want to go out? How do you want to finish the race? Do you want to stop halfway? Finish the race. No matter what sin you're involved in, it doesn't scare God. You can't spook God by your sin. He's, he's unmoved. In fact, he's like, come to me. This is, this is good. Don't make him put rate on you. <laughs> I've experienced, experienced that spiritually. Well, because I didn't go to God for forgiveness or repentance, I just stay, stayed in this state of just dullness and mediocrity and didn't grow. You know, God wants to encourage us. God wants to be with us. God's given us a plan. If you're visiting here, this is the plan. I can tell you this in the Old Testament, and I can tell you in the New, because they both match. This is a good little, if you want this PowerPoint, I'll email it to you. Just let me know. But look, look at the things I didn't cover. The, blue, um, the, um, the Ark of the Covenant, obviously, is the presence of God in Psalm. Uh, the cherubim on top of the ark are foreshadows of the angels in heaven. There's so many things about the Old Testament about Jesus that I hope today you understand a little bit better because God wants to be with you. God wants you to come to him. God wants you, if you, if you haven't been, uh, been in his presence before, you know, Jesus has already sacrificed it all for you. Die to yourself. Wash yourself with water and enter the tabernacle. To God be the glory, and happy Mother's Day.